Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, yes, Paul John Roach, coming to you from a a glorious fall day in Fort Worth, Texas. And today I welcome the author of the book Found in Transition, a mother's evolution during her child's gender change. Paria Hazuri um, is a pediatrician. She's the mother of three. She's a trans rights activist and also a runner, a native of Iran. She is also a blogger and writer whose essays have been published in multiple uh, outlets, including the Washington Post and the Huffington Post. So it's a pleasure to welcome Paria to the show today to discuss what is really an important and compelling subject. So we're glad we have the opportunity to discuss this from both angles, from the the angle of the person who's uh, going through the trans experience themselves, and then for the loved one, the parent and others who who are there to support in some way. And I know that's a big part of the book. So we're glad you're here. So welcome, welcome, Paria. Glad you're with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You know, the title of the book, of course, has a double meaning, doesn't it? You know, found found in transition, we're we're finding our child, in this case, in transition, wanting to change genders, but we're also finding ourselves, you found yourself in, in, in this transition time, because initially there was a lot of resistance, right, to to the whole idea of having a child who was, who was no longer a boy, is now going to become a, a girl, and that, that sense of grief or loss around that. Yeah, absolutely. Really, the title is more about uh, me finding myself and evolving and and figuring out who I am as a human and a parent and and a a mother, you know, while my daughter uh, transitioned. So that was sort of um, why that title. Another thing, a title I thought about was family in transition, because really it was something that we went through as a family. Uh, but then, you know, it was more of my story than the entire family. So I, I uh, settled on found in transition. Right. And it reads very nicely. Obviously, you've been doing uh, blogging and writing before this book, right? And and it kind of shows, you know, and, and uh, at one stage you actually go back for another workshop, right, in in writing. Um so so this is this is part of your future perhaps is you're gonna do more writing as a result of this? 
Uh, I'm definitely going to do more writing, whether it will be another book or just for sure, I will continue to write personal essays. That's really what I love to do. Um, Whether or not I'll write another book, whether I might venture into fiction at some point, I'm I'm not sure, but definitely more writing. Right. So this this whole um, transition time, what extended since about 2017, is that right? That's when... Uh, And that's one thing you said in the in the book, and I want to discuss that, Um, you know, you were looking for clues earlier on in um, Ava's life, right, that that uh, there were clues to the fact that he might not want to be a he. Uh, um, But you you said, no, there weren't there weren't any. Uh, There were there were a few things, but nothing that, you know, a regular uh, male gendered person would 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 uh, exhibit. So that that was something that concerned you, right? That it sort of came out of the blue, if you like, just all suddenly there's this change. Right, right. The main timeline of the book is from when she first told us um, in May of 2017 that, you know, she's a girl until, um, and then it really just goes on for about an 18 month period. But there's a lot of uh, flashbacks both to her childhood and mm-hmm. flashbacks to uh, my own um, sort of uh, teen teen years as well and some of my childhood. Um, yeah, so she came out to us when she was 13 and a half and we were completely blindsided. We really didn't think she'd had any uh, what we considered signs of being transgender before she came out to us, um, which is why I my initial reaction was really just anger and, and denial rather mm-hmm. than listening to what she was trying to tell me. And, and when she sat on that couch at 13 and a half, um, telling us she's a girl and, you know, she looked 100% what we would consider, uh, you know, male. She looked like right. any teenage boy in a ratty shirt and shorts and, and messy hair, you know? Yeah. So do you think this is, I, I know you, the learning curve has been fast for you, you know, because you've gone from being blindsided to now becoming an advocate, right, for, right. for trans issues and whatnot. Um, so do you think this is a common issue, this idea that be, of being blindsided, of, of having no clue? Um, do you think that happens to a lot of parents who are, who are going through this with their children? It, it does happen to a lot of parents. And I think that's why I wanted to write this book, because when this happened to me, I thought that I'm alone in this experience. I thought that most parents whose kids are trans um, have known when their their kids were little, that they've always, you know, suspected mm-hmm. or been better prepared. And that the, I thought there aren't stories like mine where they're child seems to exhibit, you know, no signs or symptoms and and then it's and then they suddenly come out. But once I started attending a support group and getting educated, I realized that uh, 50% or more of children um, and and youth present this way where where there doesn't seem to be any signs, you know, when they're three, four, five, eight, (laughs) nine nine years. And I found so many other parents in my same situation who were blindsided, who were grappling, who were um, having to make medical decisions when they didn't feel certain. And it's very hard to make decisions for your child when you don't feel certain that what you're doing um, is right, because you you haven't had years to prepare for it. You haven't watched right. this, you know, something different than what you thought. 
One of the things you mentioned in the book, too, and, and you were sticking with for a while, was the idea that this may be a, a fad or a phase or whatever in that young person's life, you know, and that they would eventually kind of snap out of it or whatever. And, and some of the early therapy sessions that you went to. And by the way, folks, if you're listening, you need to know that uh, there was a lot of therapy here, right, of all kinds. And, yeah. and you, you've got a lot of guidance from different uh, therapists and clinics and whatnot. So you don't have to go through this alone. And in fact, there's a number of references in the back of the book to, to agencies you can contact if, if this is happening to you. But but it, having said that, you know, you, your initial uh, desire, if, if you like, was that this would pass. You know, this this was a, a kind of a bad dream. You're going to wake up on the other side of it. Right. Um, yeah, that's absolutely what I thought. I thought, oh, OK, here's another, you know, teenage <laughs> fad, you know, issue right. that I'm that I will have to deal with and that it's a phase. And and it really and so many people. Right now, you know, I hear people say things like that, um, and it really isn't, you know, a fad or a phase. And teens are not being influenced by other teens to be trans. Nobody can, you know, make you trans. Nobody can make you cisgender. Nobody can make you transgender. I mean, you know, you are who you are. Um, mm. it, it is that when your body starts going through puberty is when the, if there is gender dysphoria, is when it really gets amplified and accelerated. And so that's why, you know, we're seeing it so much, um, you know, and, and now with more information and acceptance, the teens who are going through this are coming out and, you know, and, and voicing how they, how they feel. Um, and, and puberty is the time when their distress is, you know, peaked and amplified. Right. You know, there's a point in the book where you ask yourself a very tough question and, um, you know, you have to have a certain amount of self-honesty to even approach, you know, approach the question. And then you ask yourself, you know, what was I uh, Ava's first abuser, you know, um, in the sense that, you know, when you go through the trans experience, there's there's a lot of kickback. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people who are not accepting. Right. And, and are trying to put the person down in some way. Uh, or make them different to what they want to be. And and so you ask yourself that, you know, is is my desire for them to be who I always remember them being as they were when they were born and as my child, you know, am I actually abusing this person because, um, you know, I, I my resistance to that change, right? I mean, I think it's a very human thing. Um, but, yeah, I don't think you were an abuser, not in the overt sense, but... But I know what you. I know why that, that that question came to your mind, right? Right. Yeah. Well, it had been. I had been actually sitting in an in a support group when um, you know a facilitator um, who is a therapist who works with trans youth said, "Don't be your child's bully. Don't be your child's first bully." And mm -hmm. when he said that, that just sort of stopped me in my tracks right. um, and made me think. You know, the preceding six months where I kept telling her, no, you're, you know, you're not. And this is this is a phase and you're trying to get attention. And, you know, right. she um, asked me to, you know, call her by a girl name and use female pronouns. And I kept saying, no, no, no. Essentially, you know, was I being her first first bully by mm -hmm. um, negating, you know, who she was and denying who she was? And it, it was really a, a wake up call for me, you know, to hear that, you know, no child 
you know, even let's say if this did end up being temporary, which when um, children present after the onset of puberty, the chance that it's not real is only two to three percent. But, you know, even if like two, three percent chance this this wasn't real. I mean, no child is going to say, gosh, I, I you know, wish my parents hadn't supported me during, during that time. Of, you know, right. Yeah, you there know. we go. Um, and I just realized it was really time to shift and start supporting her. Right. Yeah. One thing that uh, I don't get a whole lot in the book, because like you said, you're focusing on you and your responses. But how did the other children uh, deal with this? I mean, you, you mentioned it uh, a little bit, but uh, are they in, in a good space around that now? Yeah. I mean, my my older one um, who was in high school with Ava at the same time really pretty much didn't bat an eye. I, it really made no difference to him, it seemed. He just mm-hmm. thought, you know, she's the same, you know, sibling I've always had, but just now, you know, presenting this way and, and that's fine. But um, the relationship never changed and he was not at all uncomfortable with his sibling, you know, transitioning while in high school with him. Right. Um, and my younger daughter, um, who was in early middle school when this happened, um, she had like two to three days, maybe really, of just trying to figure out her her feelings <laughs> of, of just what did this even mean? I, I wouldn't even mm. say like grief, but just trying to figure it out and then was okay um, after that. And so, you know, kids are are a lot more adaptable and, and they're just a lot more comfortable with the idea of um, gender, the spectrum of gender and, you know, sexuality and the spectrum of that. And um, it's really adults that um, have a little bit of a harder time and, and need more exposure and education. Right, exactly. And what about your husband then? My husband had, yeah, I think my husband, I mean, for him, it was difficult as well, but he, he did have an easier time than I did. I think I had the hardest time in our family. I, I think I, as a mother, felt very attached to the gender of my children. I felt very attached to this idea that I'm a mother of two sons and a daughter. And I also was had a really hard time with my own identity as a mother if mm. I didn't know something so fundamental about my own child then what did that say about me as a mother um, whereas I don't think my husband's sense of identity is was as tied into either fatherhood or like this you know he was just like well I'm a father of three children you know he, right. he have as much of that tie to gender as I did. So I, he, he had a difficult time, but definitely not as difficult of a time as I did. Uh, he's Iranian also, isn't he? Yes, he is, yes. So is part, is part of it a cultural thing, do you think, um, from, from that Middle Eastern background? Is that different from, though, you know, you've lived in the States, for you've become, a, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, to, to American. Yeah. So there's always that sense of growing up in that culture, right? Right. Yeah. I think for us, it wasn't necessarily a cultural thing in that, um, you know, even if we weren't Iranian Americans, you know, this would, wouldn't have been something we would have ex- been exposed to, you know, in our you know, childhood and, and you, know, right. teenage, you know, and growing up. I think there was a little bit of a concern about what would um, extended el- elderly family say. I, I had right 
concern about that, but I myself didn't have a cultural issue with it. I think where culture came in for me was that, you know, growing up as an Iranian American in a very white neighborhood, I had been on the outside for, I had felt like I was on the outside and I was very lonely throughout my teen and, and high school years. And having experienced sort of feeling like an outsider for so many years, you know, the last thing you want for your child is is to be an outsider. And I felt mm-hmm. being trans is, you know, a 100 times worse the ultimate, version of the ultimate outsider. outsider. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's where culture came in for me, I think. Yeah. I'm wondering if, uh, you know, what the view of the, the Quran is and, and Islam in general on, on transgender. Well, right now, I mean, I don't actually, you know, I can't tell you that I know d- definitely what, it, right, <laughs> what right. the Quran about gender at all. I can tell you that right now, um, the Iranian government actually um, accepts trans people and that gender uh, gender reassignment surgeries are done in Iran. However, they don't um, accept um, homosexuality or bisexuality or, pan, you know, pansexuality. Right. Um, but they do accept that people might be transgender. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because, again, we have a lot of misconceptions about what happens in, in Iran, you know, especially if, if you're American, right? The, the, this, this whole idea of the, um, the history, the recent history between the two countries, and, and, and now it's even worse with the current leadership or whatever, because there's sort of a enmity there. Um, okay. so, so, you know, it's, it's hard to know, uh, you know, what's really going on. I think we find this on my show, you know, when I discuss Islam or whatever, um, there's a lot of preconceptions that people have about about Muslim uh, understanding and, and etc. So uh, right. it's always good to put the the idea out that you know Islam is a is a peaceful religion because uh, yes. <laughs> you know people have the idea that that's the opposite uh, you know so um, yes yeah but that's that's a whole other subject that's <laughs> a whole other subject yes I appreciate that <laughs> so, so shifting back to um, you for a minute you know how essentially how would you say you've changed what, what what's the biggest thing that has happened for you as a result of all this experience with with the change of gender and for for your your daughter yeah well there are so many ways that i have changed right. um, but the i guess one of the greatest ways i've changed is i've realized how much you know i can evolve as a human and as a as a mother if i mm-hmm. just you know open my heart and mind and don't get in my own way thinking that you know i you know i know sort of who my child is and you know should be you know like right. you know put those away i mean i think um i've also just realized that if my if my daughter can be so strong and sure and certain of who she is um, that certainly any lingering insecurities I've had about myself, I, I need to put behind me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, become an activist and an advocate. I've started learning about trans care. So, I mean, just in terms of what I'm doing, both um, in my just professional life and, um, you know, in, in, in just trying to, you know, help other people um, mm-hmm. that's changed. You know, and I have just, I didn't think that it, you know, when this started, I didn't think that the day would come where I would actually look at her 
and see her as my daughter, just just as my daughter, not as oh the daughter who used to be my son is mm -hmm. right. my daughter. I didn't think the day would come where I would just see her as my daughter, and I and I definitely do, and I think that's such a major shift. And if that shift is possible, then really I feel anything is possible. Right, that's beautiful. Yeah, and and unity. We talk a lot about moving beyond our roles, you know, beyond our ideas we have about ourselves right that we we are moms and or dads but that's not the reality of who we are you know we are we can we can change in other words we can go beyond the role and if we're stuck in a role if, if that's the the way it has to be you know that's that we've created a limitation on ourselves so i think part part of spiritual maturity is is to let go of that right and that, this is a big one, isn't it? It's a yes. big one to let go of, you know. Yes. But it seems, you know, that, that everything is in divine order. So, you know, um, we learn the lessons too, so we can expand, right? So we can be a better, a better human being, a more loving human being. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I don't think I ever imagined that my heart or mind could expand <laughs> this, you know, in yeah. this, you know. So. Yeah. 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 So how old is, is um, Ava now? Uh, Ava is almost 17. Uh, she's, a, she's a senior in high school. Uh, she's a young, uh, you know, she was a little bit early compared to other people in, in school. So, um, and she's applying to colleges and, and doing really well and um, very, you know, very ha happy other than not being happy about the pandemic and having to do online Zoom school. But Yeah, but, of course. Yeah. Well, we're all, we're all dealing with the craziness right. of 2020. We, we have right. no clue. I wrote a poem, actually, at the beginning of the year, you know, it says 2020 hindsight and all that. And it was a sort of an amusing little piece. And um, and, and I was feeling good about 2020, you know. And, and then yeah. I was when any of us were. And then, uh, you know, March happened and boom, you know, right. we've got this... But we again, it's it's we roll with the punches, right? We have to deal with the, the way things are, and there's there's been a lot of benefits in the situation too. We've got to look in a different way, and um, and maybe stop doing some of the things we thought were so darn essential, right? That there's Absolutely. other ways of doing things, um, and I'm sure that's true for you professionally too. You've had to modify some of your uh, yeah. ways of interacting with with uh, your clients and whatnot as well, right? Absolutely. Lots of lots of that, yes. Right. So um, I want to talk about, you know, how do we approach being uh, the subject of trans and everything in, in order that we can skillfully move through this for for those people who are, are doing, going through it. Um, mm -hmm. And you mentioned the resistance that we have to it, etc. But eventually, you know, there, there comes a time where, okay, this is real. I can't I can't make turn the clock back and make yeah. it different. It's happening. So, right. so what what are the strategies? And, and I want to talk more about that in the second segment as well. But let's start the discussion. You know, what are the what are the strategies to skillfully approach this? Right. Well, well, the first thing I would say is that when your child comes to you with something this big, <laughs> don't right. do what I did, which was to immediately react and shut down. Just you know, listen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, just listen to what your child has is saying to you. And if it is too much, rather than, you know, reacting, just say, wow, this is a lot of information. Can you give me a few hours, a day, three days, one week? Can we talk about this again, mm -hmm. you know, in this amount of time? So just take a moment to pause. <laughs> and, right. and 
Um, and then I think it's really about um, getting, surrounding yourself with the right health and, you know, the right people. You know, it's not, you, you really just getting any therapist will not do you, you know, if you are going to get a therapist, you need to get a therapist who, who has experience and, and specializes mm -hmm. in this. I mean, support, you know, surrounding yourself with, for me, surrounding myself with parents who were going through the same thing was really instrumental. And there, um, everyone can do that anywhere now because there's, you can do it online. <laughs> um, and there are online support groups that people can join from anywhere and, you know, are incredibly helpful. I think, um, you know, I would talk to your pediatrician right away about getting a referral to someone who specializes, um, you know, in gender and kids. And sometimes that's actually just another pediatrician. Sometimes it's a pediatric endocrinologist. It doesn't have to be a pediatric endocrinologist. Right. Um, but particularly for kids who are either or starting puberty or are in puberty, um, hitting the pause button is needed makes a huge difference. Um, and hitting the pause button on puberty, um, you know, or using a, basically a puberty blocker, um, has the puberty blockers have been used for 30 years for other reasons and are completely safe and completely reversible and buy you at least two years, mm. which you can, you know, make decisions. And so we, we can kind of, t you know, talk about that certainly, Interesting. Yeah. but, um, but so kind of, you know, the right therapist, you know, listen to your child, the right therapist, uh, support for yourself, um, which you're going to need and, you know, talk to your doctor right away. And if you're, if your doctor knows nothing about this, which there's a very good chance that they don't, right. Yeah. Then you need to ask for the, you know, for a referral to, to someone who does. Right. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Folks, I'm with Paria Hazuri. She's uh, written a book called Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change. And this book is published in all and available in all the usual outlets, correct? It's published yes. by the wonderful yeah. uh, New World Library. And um, if people want to find out more about you directly, do you have a website they can go to? Yeah, pariahasori.com uh, has um, my book, my articles, um, my social media things. I answer emails that I get through that all the time. All right, good. All right, with the break, folks, listen to these messages from Unity, and we're back to find out more about this fascinating and important subject. Join us then. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. 
All right, welcome back to today's show. I'm with Paria Hazuri, uh, MD. She's written a book called Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Changed. And we talked about some of the human things that come up, you know, resistance to change, um, wanting to do the best for our children, but uh, also wanting to have normalcy, whatever that is, and, uh, and some, you know, uh, digging in about that. But then coming to terms with it and uh, moving through it successfully. And how can we be the most helpful for our children? And uh, we began to talk about that at the end of the, the first segment, you know, about the, the actual transition experience. Uh, and you, you mentioned uh, some physical things you can do, right? To, mm-hmm. to literally put uh, puberty on hold. And that, that sounds dramatic to me. Right. So there's, you know, there's, if you, if you listen to media, there's a, you know, a lot of misinformation out there. Um, a lot of people saying, oh, we shouldn't be, you know, messing with children's puberty and putting children on hormones and, and various kinds of things. So um, nobody's putting in, you know, seven or eight year old on hormones, um, you know, really medical transition or that thought, you know, considering medical transition doesn't start until a child starts puberty, which, right. you know, so, so nothing is happening in children who are, you know, un- under 10 years old, but in terms of uh, putting a pause on puberty. So there are various um, type of puberty blockers and they have been used. Puberty blockers have been used for, um, over 30 years in children, in children who have what's called precocious puberty, where they their body goes through puberty, you know, too early. Right. Um, they are completely safe. They are completely reversible, and they you can put a child's uh, body um, on, you know, their puberty on pause for a minimum of two years. You know, if not, you know, four years, but, uh, you know, after two years, you do need to just monitor their bone health and make sure everything's okay before you would, you would consider extending the pause. And, and, um, and then you, and then you decide about, you know, do you, um, you know, uh, treat the child with cross hormones so that they're going through the, uh, uh, the type of puberty that aligns with how they identify their gender they identify with, or are you going to take them off the puberty blocker and then they would just resume whatever, um, you know, puberty their, their body would otherwise go through. Um, so I think that, um, doing the puberty blocker at the, you know, appropriate time and not being scared of it really, you know, buys you some time to, you know, get the appropriate, you know, um, help for, you know, if, if needed to, you know, make decisions and, and people just need to know that it's completely safe and reversible. Um, then when we're talking about cross hormones, yeah, there are definitely some things that are not reversible without surgery. Um, and so that is a whole nother complicated, um, you know, discussion that might be, might be beyond the, the level of this, but, right, but it's exactly. to know that pausing puberty is completely safe and reversible and to not be scared of doing that, I think is really important. One of the difficulties is, um, you know, communicating with family um, about this, you know, especially if we've got family that's more um, in one way or another, uh, you know, um, traditional or whatever, you know, so how would you suggest approaching that? That's, that's often difficult. You know, may, we may be okay with it ourselves now and come to terms with it, but how the heck do I, 
but I share that because we don't know how they're going to react, you know, right. respond to it. I mean, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of different families who handle it in, in different ways. Right. A lot of families, um, you know, sort of one by one, let family members know. Um, so, well, one, first you have to see for, for some children, they're not necessary. They might only be out to their family initially and don't want to, mm. you know, come out to everyone else. But right. you know, so, so one, you have to follow your child's lead of when they're ready to come out to other people. But when they are ready to come out to other people, I mean, some people do it, you know, one family member at, at a time. I've seen a lot of people write, uh, you know, a lengthy letter where they kind of explain this is what's going on and we're supporting our child. Um, if you need time to think about this, um, you know, that that's fine. Um, if you are not ready to support our child right now, you know, then unfortunately you can't be in our life, <laughs> you know, and, and when you are ready to talk and support our child, you know, we're, we're open to talking, you know, something, right. something like that. Right, right. I, I do think, you know, I, for myself, you know, was worried about telling my parents, um, and they ended up being, you know, completely um, accepting and, and supportive. I think sometimes we underestimate um, the ability of other people to immediately, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, be open when, when it, when we're talking about people that they really love, their views can change in an instant when it affects somebody, you know, they love. So, so there's definitely that. And I, you know, and I also think there was a point where I was worried about well, what's my, how is my mom going to explain it to her friends? Even if I'm not worried about my mom, I'm worried about mm -hmm. how my mom explain right. it to her 70 year old friends. And then it was just like, well, why am I more, you know, that's not, I, that's not for me to worry about. You know, my mom can take care of herself. My obligation is to support and protect my child. And, you know, she's been through a lot at this point in her life. I'm sure she can figure out how to, you know, explain it to her friends if she needs to, you know. Well, and sometimes we project, don't we, our, our concerns and anxieties, you know, on other people, other members of the family. It's a natural thing to do, but it's also an excess baggage. We really don't need to go there, you know, to right. deal with our own feelings and then right. whatever. So, right. um, uh, and you tell the story beautifully of, you know, how the name was chosen, right? Because initially he... She chose the name Lucy, and, and then you wanted a more, uh, you know, word that, that would be fitting for uh, Iran, Iran as well as America, whatever. And um, and then the, the whole going down to the courthouse and getting the, you know, the name and the gender changed, right? Uh, they, they, those are huge steps, and, um, uh, and yeah, it seemed to go fairly well, right? It seemed to go fairly smoothly. Yeah, I think I think it went it went faster than I thought. Um, yeah. it went really well. We we decided to sort of speed up that process because we just thought it would make things easier for her. You know, she was in high school and she was going to be potentially going on a Europe trip with her choir group, and I didn't want her to have a passport that has a different name and gender as mm -hmm. how she's presenting. So we sort of decided to do those. Um, maybe a little bit of it at an accelerated pace than some other people uh, choose to do it. But 
you know, when, and I was sort of dreading court today because it would be the day that I would sort of officially say goodbye to her old name. And for me, letting go of her old name was for some reason much harder than, than letting go of her gender at a certain Interesting. point. Um, and, um, but the court experience ended up being really beautiful. And when, when I sat there, I realized how grateful I was to that she was able to come to us and that we were able to do this together because so many teens wait until they go to college, mm -hmm. to come out and then they go to college and they uh, go to, you know, physicians on their own and mm -hmm. start this process on their own. And then, you know, call home or send a letter home and say, guess what? You know, uh, parents, um, this is what's going on. I've already seen a doctor. I've already started doing mm -hmm. all of this. Um, and so I felt when we were sitting in court, I just realized how lucky we were that she came to us earlier so that we could actually walk through the whole process with her. Yes, and I absolutely. felt incredibly blessed to have that experience. Right. And and I think that's a huge point because, you know, a lot, a lot of children, uh, just don't have the the comfort or the, the the relationship with with the parent. They're just too fearful. Maybe they do have a good relationship, mm -hmm. but they can't deal with this particular aspect, and so they 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 hide it away, etc. So if we could be sensitive, right, to to what's going on for them, and that's hard when you're a teenager. Even yeah. the best quote best teenagers, you know, they were lovely when they were younger, and then they turn into, you know, whatever it is that happens during adolescence, you know. Um, so they're just hard to communicate with, uh, you know, and they just don't want to communicate with you often. Um, so it's it's a tough one, isn't it, to stay to stay to offer that space to allow that container, you know, mm -hmm. that's large enough that that allows them to be them, if you like. Um, and and you were fortunate, I think, in in that in that you had, um, you know, a child who was essentially quite loving, you know, was willing to. To, to to allow you to be part in that container with him yeah. with her right right and i was fortunate in that you know during a lot of the time when i was having a lot of difficulty with what was happening and and she would see that i was having a hard time there were right. many where she was reaching out and holding my hand and telling me it's going to be okay and and she was mothering me <laughs> during yes. many yeah. scenes um right. and, um you know i, I now I that all I see that all very clearly at that time I was in a fog, but now I see it very clearly. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is a huge part of the learning as well. We mentioned earlier, you know, the the, the spiritual learning of letting go of roles. And and part of that is, you know, uh, we we become a learner, right? We we become a a child in the sense in imbibing information from our children. And right. and um I think that's a very beautiful thing. I mean, I don't think that we have to totally reverse roles, you know, but but it's it's beautiful to be open in that regard. I think that there's there's learning that comes in all directions, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. And and you know, she's taught me. She's taught you know her grandparents. She's taught her teachers. Right. You know, she's taught administrators in her school. Um, right. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. So let's talk about uh, reassignment and uh, all that. I don't, I don't know where you are with all that, but mm -hmm. I know that that's obviously a huge step. And um, so if, for those of us who don't know much about it, talk us through that and how that works. Usually. Right. Well, I guess, you know, so this is another point that, you know, transition um, isn't always medical for 
a lot of people did just socially transition. You know, they just, they change how they present and uh, their names and their pronouns. And that is all that they need to feel that their transition is complete. So it's, right. you know, very, um, you know, individual for, for each person. Um, there are people who decide to have some surgeries and not, you know, other surgeries. Um, there are people who decide just to take medication but not have any surgeries. I think a lot of people, when they think about transition, they automatically think about gender reassignment surgery, which specifically... Right bottom genital surgery. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of trans people choose not to do that. And I think um, th I would say that's the, uh, and I'm happy, you know, happy uh, as someone who is talking about this to talk about it, you know, uh, uh, on the show and, and help educate people. But, um, you know, that is one of the gripes I hear from parents is that a lot of times, you know, when they share that their child is trans, people will immediately ask some questions about whether or not their child has had gender reassignment surgery or, or plans to. And right. it's, you know, n not an appropriate question necessarily to ask, you know, any, you know, parent. So I think, right. you know, for, for but in, in general, um, you know, bottom surgery happens when you're an adult, if you decide to do it. So obviously, you know, Ava's not an adult, so so we are not there. Um, and it, you know, I talk in the book about it's something that may or may not happen at some point. Um, it's something that I, you know, definitely in the book repeatedly say I'm very scared of and I'm not sure that I can handle. Right. Um, you know, now I know that um, if that should ever come up, I would support her and handle it just, just like I did everything else, you know, I just, mm -hmm. you know, I trust that we would cross that bridge when we, when, if we ever come to it and, um, right. maybe we will, and maybe we won't. But, um, I do think that, um, you know, it's important for people to, um, and, you know, the, it's a surgery that, you know, obviously it, it's, it's a big surgery, you know, there's a lot of risks. Um, so, but you know, the surgery, but there's so many physicians now who have lots of experience doing the surgery and, and mm -hmm. that are, are generally very good. And, um, you know, but I think, you know, for any parents, um, in this situation, I think it's natural for us to jump to that and, and, and mm -hmm. work out and a lot, right. of, a lot of times this the fear of like big surgeries are sort of what hold us back too and right. i would say like you know one day at a time <laughs> right yeah and that's really why i brought it up because i know that does cause concern for a lot of people when they hear that word you know reassignment right. whatever um but you know i also like the idea that uh you know we're talking about a spectrum here right and, that, right. and that's part of uh, lgbtq you know the whole spectrum is the the the, the allowance for differences um, and uh, and I like the idea that you know just uh, say you were trans doesn't mean you have to conform to a certain style of trans or whatever Absolutely. you know there can be various roles within that and um, and, and whatever's comfortable for the person you know and, right. and I, I think that needs to be uh, put out there that, that that's a good thing right that the, the right. spectrum of of who we are as human beings is is a beautiful thing, and and not you don't have to be, you know, put into a um, a box again. You know, confined to a role, right? right. Um, I I did watch a very beautiful um, uh, article on um, 
film article on uh, BBC recently, and it was about um, a person who, who did go through a transgender uh, situation fr from a, um, a male to a female, and then, though, wanted to go back and, and had reassignment the other way. Uh, and that's got to be tough. And it, it was a very moving um, you know, article, and, and a video article, and um, uh, the, the whole story was very touching. And and uh, so that does happen sometimes, right? That uh, people decide yeah. to reassign. Um, so from from what I have read and know, and um, you know, research and and talk to experts, um, that what we call sort of you know detransition, mm -hmm. um, that the detransition um, rate in um, in people who come out as trans post puberty is a maximum of two to three percent. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, the, you know, so two to 3% is not very, is not very high. Um, we also know, you know, and, and, you know, I, I have to say a lot of this is just, you know, um, I'm not the, the top expert, you know, in, right, in sure, world, sure, but, of course. um, you know, a lot of times, um, in, in people who, um, choose to detransition, there's been, um, other complicating factors as well. Um, sometimes there may be other diagnoses which are psychiatric. Sometimes there may have been a history of um, sexual abuse, more common. And you know, so, um, so, but, but yeah, there is about a two to three percent detransition rate right. at most, from what I know. Right. Um, and uh, sometimes that number might sound really high or it might sound really low. I'm not sure, you know, it depends on right. the person hearing it and they're, where they're coming from, right. you know, but, you know, for, for me, I feel, you know, what, I, when I was going through this process and I was making this decision, um, you know, that is, and I think I mentioned in point point in the book, um, that at po one point I realized that even if there was a two to 3% chance that at some, that someday she would change her mind about, you know, who she is or feel differently, that, uh, you know, that at that time, I was making the right decisions for her based on right. what was presenting in, in front of me and and um, the risks that I felt were there if we held her back. Right. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, I read the end of the book. There's a lovely paragraph I want to read because um, I think it not only speaks to the, the, all the things that you've been going through, but it speaks to all of us and, and how we our common humanity comes out here. So if, I'll read it and then we can discuss it a little bit. It says, okay. uh, do we have an obligation to the world? Uh, do we have an obligation to ourselves? And which is most more important? Do we put ourselves out there giving back and spreading awareness and making the way easier for, to others at the cost of our own lives and peace? I know that the answer is not black and white. There, is de there can definitely be a balance between these things. There may be phases in our lives when we are activists and phases when we are not. I don't know what Ava will decide for her own future. and I don't know what I'll decide for mine or how I'll navigate it. And, and I thought this was a very honest paragraph, right? And and it's uh, I'm a big advocate of don't know mind. You know that it's uh, that in traditional uh, theology sometimes we've always got to have great faith. We can't doubt. But I think in a more deep spirituality, doubting is okay. You know, in fact, don't know mind allows the the higher mind to to move through us, right? Um, 
it's sort of letting go of the lower lesser to so that something greater can come and I, I love that paragraph because it was very honest you know it says i don't have the all the answers right sometimes i want to be one way and sometimes another so yeah speak to that yeah i mean you know right now i'm you i wrote a book i write articles i <laughs> i'm became a, a board member at transforming family and i you know interview new parents coming in and i help moderate the support group and i, right. <laughs> I shout trans from the rooftops you know and really try to you know do my part and i follow the national center for transgender equality and i try to share you know their petitions and and, and do all of this and um you know, there, and this phase of my life, you know, I've gone through other phases in my life. So, you know, if, if in six months or a year or two years or five, I decide that I want to just step back and, you know, be quiet and not do that anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, um, what I'm doing now isn't valid or coming from a 100%, you know, honest, you know, place mm -hmm. of this is where I am today. Um, yeah. it doesn't, mean that what I'm doing now won't have, you know, value or I negated it. You know, I think um, this is this is what's happening in my life right now and and where I feel like my voice can make a difference and I almost feel like an obligation to use it. Mm -hmm. um, but I might want a break at some point. Uh, I'm there might something else might happen in my life, which um, I'll feel more passionate about and, and want to invest my energy in there. Um, and honestly, there um, may come a time where I'm just tired and not passionate about anything. <laughs> and yeah. I just, you know, want to, you know, just uh, go back to my usual, usual life. <laughs> so, and I think that's, you know, okay. And I, and I, you know, I think about that for my daughter too there right now. She's very out. She's very open. Um, and there's a time where she may not want to be that way. And she doesn't need to, you know, none of us need to decide. We just do what's right for us right now. And I, I know, you know, that, that was a big question. Do I even tell our story? Do I put it out there? Um, and I felt like I made the best decision for us right now. It was to go public and, and use our voice. And, um, and we'll see what happens. Right. See what happens. So real quick, what do you say to people who are on the other side of the spectrum who, who have no tolerance for any of this, that, uh, you know, very rigid fundamentalist viewpoints? Or maybe well, don't say anything to them. I don't know. Well, I would say a couple of things. You know, one, we know that, um, you know, there's a statistic that 80% of Americans uh, don't, uh, don't really know a trans person or haven't come across a trans person or something mm -hmm. like that. So I would say, okay, like sit down and talk to a trans person or try to get to know a trans person. And that was part of telling my story. Like if you read my book, which, you know, I probably may not be able to get them to read my book, then you almost feel like you do know a family, you know, with, with a trans mm -hmm. person. Right. So I would say, okay, just talk to one trans person and really get to know them. And, and then the other thing I would say is that we all have someone trans in our life. <laughs> you know, it could be a family member, it could be um, a friend, it could be a coworker. You know, n not every trans person is obviously trans. It may be somebody that comes out later in our life. Um, so just keep your mind open um, and see what happens. Right, yeah, very good. 
I'm going to tell everybody about next week's show, and then I'd like you to just give us a couple of words of encouragement. You mentioned COVID earlier, you know, something that you you have on your heart that you could share that would be uplifting for people, okay? So so next week, uh, I'm going to begin a four-part series on death, dying, and the afterlife. And uh, the first show features Dr. Andrew Silverman. He's going to talk about a burst of conscious light, um, near-death experiences, the Shroud of Turin, of which he's an expert, and the limitless potential of humanity. So it should be an interesting series, interesting uh, show, I think. So so join us uh, for that next week. And let's get back to Paria. Some words of advice or upliftment, whatever, for us this week. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I already stated this, but when the, when my daughter came out, I thought that this was the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. Mm. And it ended up being the one thing that has caused the most personal growth for me in my life. So don't um, underestimate your ability to evolve or to see things in a different light or to come out of the other side of hardship even better Um you know, you can, you can do hard things. Is that a Brene Brown quote? <laughs> I think, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that we're, you know, to quote Brene Brown, you know, we're all imperfect, right? It's, we don't have to be perfect. And sometimes I think we set up these yardsticks of perfection that we can never reach. And, and that causes us more damage than anything else. So I, right. I think that's true for you. You've sort of softened your, your, you have a very, rigorous way of, you know, I must do it right, got to get it perfect, and, and uh, just allowing just that to slip for a little bit, you know, to relax into something different, yeah. It may have been a Glennon Doyle quote, I don't know which one it is, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, but same, it's the same yeah. idea, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, Paria, for being on the show and, and really sharing, honestly, these, these important uh, subjects for us, and, and I'm glad you were able to do it, be with us. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Right. And thanks for listening, folks. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.